Get to Old Navy for the biggest sale of the year. Up to 60% off all back-to-school styles for kids and baby. Get flip-flops for 2 bucks, graphic tees for 4 bucks, shorts for $6, and jeans for $8. Right now, get the best kids' styles at kid-size prices. Just 2 4 6 and $8. Can't wait to wear it? Buy online and pick up in-store free today. Up to 60% off all kids and baby styles now at Old Navy and OldNavy.com. Valid 729 to 811. Select styles. Excludes in-store clearance. Get to Old Navy for the biggest sale of the year. Up to 60% off all back-to-school styles for kids and baby. Get flip-flops for 2 bucks, graphic tees for 4 bucks, shorts for $6, and jeans for $8. Right now, get the best kids' styles at kid-size prices. Just 2 4 6 and $8. Can't wait to wear it? Buy online and pick up in-store free today. Up to 60% off all kids and baby styles now at Old Navy and OldNavy.com. Valid 729-811. Select styles. Excludes in-store Welcome everyone to episode 149 of the NBA podcast. I'm Brian Toporek and today we're going to talk about the first couple games of the NBA finals, give an update on the Brian Colangelo burner situation and discuss some speculation about Luka Doncic maybe slipping down draft boards a little bit. Before we get underway, wanted to remind you, you can follow us on Twitter at the NBA pod. In our bio, you can find our Twitter handle, so give us a follow as well. You can also find us on iTunes, so please subscribe, download, leave some five-star reviews. We'd love any feedback. And we're now being hosted on the Almighty Baller Podcast Network, so check them out on Twitter, at AlmightyCasts. Joining me today, as always, is my very stable genius of a co-host, Morton Jensen. How's it going, Mort? It's warm, Brian, again. <laughs> it's really, really warm over here. 30 degrees. I, I went to the beach on Sunday with the, with the family. I tore both my feet up on rocks. Ooh. Like, really? So, I love the weather, but at times I'm just looking up and going, it's Hey, it's Jamie, progressive number one, number two employee. Leave a message at the... Hey, Jamie. It's me, Jamie. This is your daily pep talk. I know it's been rough going ever since people found out about your acapella group, Mad Harmony, but you will bounce back. I mean, you're the guy always helping people find coverage options with the Name Your Price tool. It should be you giving me the pep talk. Now get out there, hit that high note, and take Mad Harmony all the way to nationals this year! Sorry, it's pitchy. Progressive Casualty Insurance Company and Affiliates. Price and coverage match limited by state law. Rain now. It should <laughs> rain for like two consecutive days just to cool everything off. But listen to me complain about hot weather. I'm an asshole. Yeah, I know. Just to clarify, 30 degrees for our American listeners. He's talking about 30 degrees Celsius. He's not. Obviously, because I use what's proper, the metric system. Right. Yeah. Yeah. Reminder that you're you're speaking to a mostly American audience, but that's fine. Yeah. Yeah. But still, all of you are wrong. All of you are wrong. So yeah, you're, you're, you're probably right there. Uh, Mort, we also have a special guest today joining us as well is Spencer Lund, or I'm going to leave you to the Scandinavian pronunciation, Mort, but Spencer nope. Lund, he's a long-term NBA writer. Spencer, how's it going? Hey, guys. Thanks for having me. Yeah, thanks for coming on. Uh, before we get started, where can people find you on Twitter and where can they find your work? Um, I do some some writing for Complex and Real GM and... My Twitter handle is just Spencer, uh, S-P-E-N-C-E-R, and my middle name, uh, Tyrell, T-Y-R-E-L. Very good. Yeah, give Spence a follow. He tries to stay silent during the finals because Twitter Twitter is trash right now, but in the coming weeks, it'll get better. So give him a follow. He'll be a good follow throughout the summer. Um, guys, we got to start with the NBA Finals, of course. It's the big story uh, of the week. You know... <laughs> 
really, the story coming out of game one is, first, it was a lot more competitive than anyone expected. Second, J.R. Smith brain fart at the end of the game was just one of the most egregious mistakes you'll see in any NBA game, much less a finals game that could have potentially at least made the series more competitive. So I want to talk about two narratives that have come out of that game before we move into game two. One, you know, JR is getting a lot of the blame just because it was such an epic brain fart, but like George Hill missed the free throw. The rest of the team could have called the timeout. I feel like the blame should be going, it should be more spread out than it is. But that said, Spencer, let's say JR realizes the score is tied and that they're not ahead one point and he doesn't run it back. Do you think they actually score there? Like, to me, he had, unless he goes up right away with that layup, he's going to take, like, a badly contested shot anyway. Like, I'm not convinced that that game still doesn't go to overtime. Yeah, I don't think you're wrong in that. I mean... J.R. Smith isn't exactly uh, a leech when it comes to finishing at the rim. Um, that's not really what he was known for. And in that sort of situation, I, I don't know if, if, if you can really just say, well, if he went back up, there's a, there's a high likelihood he scores that basket. Um, I, it's, it's, it's easy to just jump on him for what happened. But I, one quick thing, because I was, I was re-looking at that play over and over again, and are we sure – that Draymond didn't foul George Hill on that three-point attempt in the corner. Um, mm. And whether or not he got that off in time, uh, I tried finding different angles, um, but I, I haven't seen anyone really talk about that. I don't know if you guys have even considered that. Yeah. Well, I know the NBA came out with the last two-minute report and said, that I believe they said there was a lane violation um, on that second free throw attempt, so he should have had another chance at it. Also, I think they said LeBron got fouled before he even made the pass to George Hill. So it would have been LeBron at the free throw line with 12 mm. seconds left rather than Hill. You know, LeBron has been somewhat streaky as a free throw shooter throughout the playoffs. So I'm actually glad they didn't call that foul because if LeBron went up, hit one of two, and then the Warriors came back and won, the narratives would have just been like a nuclear shitstorm. So I, I like I, I'm, I feel bad for JR, but... I'm glad it wasn't LeBron who wasn't the you know the goat in the bad way of that game. Um, yeah, he, uh, he he inspires a lot of crazy. Yeah. <laughs> well, and so speaking of which, that's the other narrative I want to hit on. More, you know, I've seen a lot, especially in the last day, that video came out of like the unedited footage. Yeah. After the time, or after you know the whole J.R. Smith thing, they go to the bench. LeBron's sitting there for just like a minute, and he's just stewing, and Jr. Is just sitting next to him, like just terrified. Like, don't don't look at me. Don't talk to me. I understand you're mad. Then Ty Lu comes over and LeBron's like, "Do we have a timeout? Do we have a timeout?" And Ty Lu says yes. And then like LeBron just loses it and just yeah. and not even like in a mad way. He's just like so exasperated. And I've seen a lot of people saying like, "This is a sign that he's not a good leader. He should have like stood up and defended his guy." What, what like what do you buy into that at all no no because i have a brain that's just right? that's just such a dumb narrative and it, i i don't think i don't think the vast majority of people saying that actually believe it i think they're just trying to hype it up a little bit yeah. especially the jordan stands or the kobe stands or whatever i i think they're just trying to pick a fight because look it's you're allowed to be human even if you are lebron james every player would would look at that situation and go oh 
It's fine. Like it's right. completely fine. I I don't understand why every little thing he does needs to be dissected in the manner of which it is, and then try to be used in a way to criticize his personality, his leadership traits, whatever. It's it's just dumb. No, I don't buy into that. Like, yeah, I mean, go ahead, Brian. Well, I was just gonna say, not to mention Kobe and Jordan. Like, if those are the if those stands are the one tearing LeBron down. Like, Jordan wouldn't have talked to J.R. Smith for the next three years. Kobe would have just punched him right in the face. Like, Oh, I mean, Mike wouldn't have, wouldn't, you know, he wouldn't need to ignore J.R. Smith for three years. He would have had him off the roster by right. the, the following week. So, right. yeah, no, for sure. Yeah, no, I mean, claiming that uh, LeBron should have been uh, more forgiving of J.R. in the moment after scoring 51 points and basically, you know, mm-hmm. getting getting just hoodwinked at the end there, uh, especially after the refs made that call. I mean, he was, it's, it's a very emotional time. Um, it's a testament to LeBron that he didn't freak out more mm-hmm. in that sort of Zabruder-like film that we were watching uh, <laughs> of the bench. What was great uh, about that film, too, is uh, Corver clapping uh, when, yeah. when LeBron kind of like figured out about the timeout, uh, and Jeff Green coming over to uh, pat him on the back. Yeah. Um, and George Hill, by the way, the entire time is just buried in a towel. Like, I can't believe I missed that free throw. Um, yeah. You know, it's, it's – everyone on that team is human. It's crazy that people think that LeBron should just be this robot who's perfect in every respect. Um, yeah, it's, it's a tough moment, but, man, that video is, is, is very cinematic. Um, yeah. I, I think I've watched it like three or four times already. Um, <laughs> Just because there's a lot you can take away. It's it's perfect for people who the armchair uh, analysis about like what LeBron's gonna do this summer mm-hmm. based off of like his body language and you know that it's 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 great. It's so NBA. I love yeah. it. <laughs> I, I mean, it, it's only further convinced me that he's getting the hell out of Cleveland this summer because it's just like you can tell he's just so at that point he's like so physically exhausted and you can see it like he's just sitting on the bench like just trying to conserve as much energy as possible at that moment. And I think that's probably, like, part of the reason why he was so upset. Not even that, like, yeah, they had a chance to win the game right there, but, like, he's like, God damn it, I've been playing 48 minutes a game for the last three games, and now I have to play five more minutes in overtime? Are you kidding me, JR? Yeah, he. Uh, I mean, I, I, they, you could tell... Um that there was just no way they were going to win that in OT. I mean, it was oh, just, yeah. it, it, ended, it ended in too brutal a fashion. Right, um, right. Yeah. Uh, I, I don't know. There's not much more we can say about that game that hasn't already been said, to be honest. Yeah, yeah. So let's move on to game two then. I mean, at this point, it, it's just going to be known as the Steph Curry game. He has nine three-pointers in the NBA Finals record. You know, KD play, is, played well. He played within the system. He had, I think, like somewhere around, forget the exact stat line, somewhere like 26... 26, like, 8 and 8 or something, or 7 and yeah, 8 or yeah. something. Like, right yeah. around what Steph had besides the 33. Right. Mm. Yeah. And on t- 10 of 14 shooting. Like, really, you know, for for as much crap as he's been getting in these playoffs of this finals, especially, like, yeah, it was 26, 9, and 7, 2 blocks, 10 of 14 shooting, 2 of 3 from 3. Like, an incredible game from him that's just gone completely under the radar. Uh, Clay Thompson, you know, get. He suffers a high ankle sprain in game one. Very questionable coming into game two. 20 points on 8 of 13 shooting. JaVale McGee, 12 points on 6 of 6. I mean, they were really going for him. They moved him into the starting lineup, fed him early. Uh, 
just really everything broke right for the Warriors. And again, the, the game felt it, it, it never felt like the Warriors were in danger, but like the Cavs kept making a push. Like it was never a total blowout until that fourth quarter. But like every time the Cavs would cut it to eight or to seven or to six, the Warriors would just like respond with the three pointer that just stopped any chance of momentum the Cavs had of or the Cavs had of generate generating momentum. So. All of that said, Spence, I want to just go right into Game 3 now because we're going back to Cleveland. Do you think anything from these first two games gives you hope that this is going to be a competitive series, that the Cavs can win one of these two games or both of them at home? Um, yes. Uh, I, I do think that uh, the sort of in- inevitability that people have with the Warriors you know, it's failing to mention a few things. One, I didn't think the finals last year were as, as lopsided as people seem to believe. Um, mm. The Cavs had a very real chance in game three. If Durant doesn't hit that that sort of like uh, mini transition three right in LeBron's face. <laughs> um, and and so at that point, if they win that game and uh, people don't remember just how on fire Cleveland was in game four. I mean, they I think they hit like 25 threes. Mm. Um, that's a 2-2 series. Uh, like anything happens at that point. Um now, granted, this year they don't have Kyrie, uh, but if you look at Cleveland's three-point shooting throughout the playoffs, specifically in Game 1, there's a chance that drastically improves like it did in the Boston series once the Cleveland's role players go back home. Role players always play better at home in the playoffs. It's just the way it is. Um, I very much think Cleveland's maybe not in the series uh, just because the talent discrepancy is, is so uh, acute, uh, but I do think that... You know, they have the best player in the world on their team, and I think he's a little ticked off, uh, or probably a lot ticked off, and he realizes that in terms of his legacy, he can't get swept again, Um, Mm -hmm. and he will do everything in his power to avoid that, even if he does inevitably bounce this, uh, you know, in July. Um, So, yeah, I think think that there's a very real chance the Cavs at least take one of two uh, at home, um, if not both. Um, And we know the Warriors... You know their their uh, their urgency is hasn't really been there most of the year, um, mm. and especially at this point in the in the series, after those first two games, uh, I don't know how dialed in they're going to be in Game Three. To be honest, oh, yeah, I'm right with you. I mean, I think the one wild card is Andre Iguodala. We still don't know whether he's going to play. Uh, Chris Haynes of ESPN.com reported Monday that he's getting better. He actually might have had a small fracture in his kneecap. I think Marcus Thompson of The Athletic said that. Um, but he's he ran, I believe, at full speed the other day for the first time. So he's hoping to return at some point in the finals. I mean, I, I think that's the ultimate wild card. And if we're talking about, like, I mean, Spencer, I'm with you. Like, I, I think Cleveland wins at least one of these two games at home. But... I think Iggy eventually comes back, and that that slams the door on making this a truly competitive series. That said, Mort, are there any adjustments that you think the Cavs can make going into Game 3 that will give them a better chance at home? Or is it just a matter of, I mean, they've missed a boatload of open shots. Is it just a matter of, like, shooting better and hoping the role players perform better at home, as, as Spence said, as they did in the Boston series? I feel you've asked me this question about the Cavs throughout the entire playoffs, and, yeah. you know, that's that's kind of the theme, isn't it? Yeah. I mean, I, I don't trust these role players, um, even at home at this point. I, I mean, look look at the competition they went up against in the Eastern Conference. It was it was fine, 
it's not the Warriors. Mm-hmm. So getting that additional talent to go up against, I, I, I could I could see this becoming a sweep. I wouldn't be surprised. And I get all the arguments for always. Oh, I mean, LeBron doesn't want to be swept again. I get that. But but I I don't think he has a choice in the matter. The guy is averaging forty six minutes right now, in in the finals. He needs more than one or two guys to step mm-hmm. up. He needs five or six, and that hasn't really happened over a consistent stretch throughout the playoffs. You've seen it a game here and a game there, where you have this three or four, maybe even five guys stepping up alongside LeBron at the same time. But if that doesn't happen, you're screwed. Like, you mm-hmm. need to have a well-rounded game from so many guys. And, I mean, look at the numbers right now. Jeff Green is shooting 31% from the field. J.R. Yeah. Smith, 26. And that's a theme throughout the course of the playoffs. George Hill, 39. Jordan Clarkson, 23. <laughs> uh, Kyle Korver, 17%. So, yeah. obviously, you know, that's not the norm. So they will have a some sort of bounce-back game. The thing is, you have... You have to question whether that bounce back game is going to exceed expectation or if they're just going to go into like average out what they're usually doing. And I don't think that's enough right now. You need like Kevin Love to have a 25 15 game, Corver coming off for 18. You need to have all those guys making big plays. And when you have a, such a disruptive t- defense in Golden State who can switch everything and you have Curry who can just, you know, mentally break you with those, mm-hmm. th- those threes. I just think you can take those guys out of the game so quick. I mean, did you see the body language of the entire Cleveland defense when Curry hit that fall away? Yeah. Yeah. Like they were just like, they were done. They were yeah. done. Yeah. And and LeBron is, I think LeBron's the one who said it. Like sometimes two points are not just two points, or sometimes three points are not just three points. Like oh, right, right. When Curry hit that shot, yeah, that was lights out. Like it, it it's just so demoralizing at that point. It really they because they played such great defense for what twenty three and a half seconds, um, <laughs> and he like loses the ball and is facing the wrong way and just I I will say one thing because uh, I actually wrote uh, a recap of game two and uh, I, I what was interesting is that Steph really didn't play well in the first three quarters at all in terms mm-hmm. of shooting I think mm-hmm. he was like six of eighteen like four of twelve from deep and then he just you know, every now and then he'll like get into a little bit of a rhythm and it's just like, watch out because anytime he sees even a sliver of daylight, that, that, that shot's going up and, and it's most likely going in. Um, but you know, his, his threes, especially that, that, that fourth one in the, in the fourth, uh, he, it, it reminds me a little bit of Tristan Thompson offensive rebounds where mm. it's demoralizing for the defense because they've already expended so much energy and then it's just to, to leave that possession down an extra three points. It's just, you're right. There's just no, you could see collectively the, the mm. shoulder sag and just everyone kind of just, here, here he goes again. Like, what are we going to do? <laughs> right. Right. And they have three of those guys. Like, they have yeah. three of those guys who can make those bang, bang plays and just completely demoralize you. I, I think that's really the backbreaker. And the fact, you know, Brian, you mentioned Kevin Durant has been playing awesomely. I just want to note, Kevin Durant has played well constantly it's just been we've been preoccupied with the narrative surrounding kd like he's been Mm -hmm. fantastic like for years and years and years and him flying under the radar is probably one of the most dangerous things you could ever imagine because if cleveland buys into oh we need to focus on you know steph and clay spotting up well kd is gonna bust you for 40 yeah 
right? I mean, he had 26-9-6 in the first game, 26-9-7 in game two. I mean, he was much less efficient in game one, but yeah, it's a fair point. And I think there are two things working against Cleveland here, and one of which I wrote a column today at Give Me Sport, the NBA site for the UK that Mark Deeks is running. One, I think this Cleveland roster is just fatally flawed, and that goes back to the Kyrie Irving trade this summer, but then also what they did at the trade deadline, they just don't have the two-way wings to stop the Warriors. Like that, Jay Crowder was supposed to be that guy who they got in the Irving trade, and then Crowder just never quite found his way on either end of the court, to be honest. He just, I mean, offensively, he was much worse than he was in Boston. And defensively, the Cavs just don't have the same type of defensive personnel. Like he's not necessarily a Kawhi Leonard one-on-one wing stopper, but, you know, in a good defense, he can serve in that role. But the Cavs have a terrible defense, and he just was put on an island too much. So they trade him at the trade deadline. They trade Iman Shumpert at the trade deadline. I'm not saying Shumpert is necessarily, like, this all-world defender either at this point in his career, but, you know, go back to the 2016 finals, the only one they won, and they had guys like Shumper and Richard Jefferson to throw out there along with LeBron to take some of that defensive pressure off. Right now it's like LeBron, Jeff Green and who else? Like well, all of all of their guys are one-way players. This is when I when I chime in and say Rodney Hood. You, uh, but, <laughs> but he's not a good defender. He's never been a good um, defender. Yeah, and like I don't know, like I, I guess it would be weird to ask them to throw in uh Seti, like maybe yeah. I mean both Seti and and Rodney seem like uh, at least behind the scenes they kind of struggle under the limelight, um, and I know Rodney did that piece with the unde- with uh, mm-hmm. Spears at, at the undefeated, and just like some of his quotes, you're just like, oh, that's you know that that's fodder on the court. Like guys are gonna bring that up to you. Um, yeah. So yeah, I don't. I, you're right. They just don't. And uh, Brian, I don't know if you mentioned this uh, or if I saw it in that Mo video uh, that was going around, but the way they defend uh, the Splash Brothers on the high screen. Um, the Cavs did kind of mix it up, and they were like, especially when Love was was jumping out and, and hedging high like that. I kind of want them to like almost body Steph, uh, mm-hmm. like really get into his face and force him to get rid of the ball. Yeah. Um, if if he just because he 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 I think uh, he he was just kind of like leveling off and like giving him the drive, um, and I'd rather he just like blitzes him. Um, mm-hmm. And really doesn't like allow him any opportunity to shoot a three, and he's either got to get rid of the ball or you know I, I don't know like it's I, I feel like they, they could have done that uh, a lot more aggressively because that's like their only real option like you said they don't they just don't have the guys to like play them straight up in any sort of way. Right. Yeah. Kevin O'Connor of the Ringer had an article yesterday that I thought was good, and it hit, that's what he he just said they need to trap Steph, make him give up the ball. The problem is, like, KD can also make plays off the ball, but the theory is, you know, even if you're four on three, without Iguodala on the floor, you're at least going to have one theoretical non-threat, like whether that's McGee, uh, Looney, Bell, Nick Young. Like, you know, if a Nick Young shot, even if it goes in, it's still a win for your defense. Like, because it's better than KD, Curry, Thompson taking one. Draymond has not been good you know, as a shooter, at least in these playoffs. So that's another guy. You just, yeah, you, you, you give them that four on three and hope that all the help defense comes from the non-shooters and, you know, mm-hmm. you roll the dice. I mean, that's, it's really just like pick your poison at this point. Um, 
Yeah, I don't. I it's as a coach, I don't. I I don't envy Tyrone Lue at all. Uh, like no. trying to figure out some sort of game plan for, against this team. Uh, they're not Houston. They just don't have the personnel to defend them. Right. Yeah. Exactly. Like Houston this summer when they said we are building a roster to defeat the Warriors, they already had Trevor Ariza. They went out and added PJ Tucker. They went out and added Luke Mbamute. You know who didn't play much in the conference finals because of shoulder injury, but like Tucker was so vital to that team and like Jeff Green is their second best option at this point and Jeff Green is like I love the guy I mean going back to Georgetown I've always loved but him but it's Jeff Green right like inconsistency is just that's going to be right. on his career epitaph is just here lies Jeff Green he was very he was good one night and terrible the next like that's just right. he, who he is he, it's remarkable how many fan bases uh, Jeff Green has convinced uh he's the guy he's the he's the missing piece um yeah he just jeff green couldn't go left at georgetown and he still can't go left i i I really have a gripe about that like learn how to use your left hand jeff um okay (laughs) sorry yeah i mean it's just it's it's it sucks it sucks for the Cavs. and the irony i noted this in this give me sport piece is like the help could be on the way with that number eight pick like the Cavs could take mikhail bridges there but it's probably going to be too little too late because LeBron's going to leave. And at, at that point, you know, why why are you taking a complimentary guy like Mikael Bridges? But Hey, everybody. This is Brian from the Glue Guys Nets show on Almighty Baller. Just wanted to talk to you about sponsor and friend of the network, HelloFresh. So I've had a few meal kit delivery services in my day. I, for one, am very excited to be having HelloFresh as a sponsor. So I am a kind of a deadbeat and a pretty disorganized person in my life. And one thing that I very much appreciate about HelloFresh's business was I had left town for a while while they were delivering the package. And I came home two days later after it had been delivered and discovered that it was perfectly preserved. Nothing wrong. Two days in a New York City, insanely hot October for some reason, and it was perfectly preserved. My produce was fine. My meats were fine. Everything was totally fine. Lots of ice packages all over the place, really closely wrapped. I very much appreciated the fact that I wasn't going to have to let my HelloFresh packages go to waste. That felt really good to me. Also an important thing to note, while I am a deadbeat in some ways, I'm not in others. I do actually do a fair amount of cooking. And I really appreciate HelloFresh for this reason, too. Sometimes you get these you know, delivery services and you get all these kinds of off-brand things in the package. It's None of it's really what you're used to. I got King's Hawaiian Rolls with my burgers this time. Like, the brand. The, the, the actual thing. And it, was, and it was such a breath of fresh air to see a, a brand that I was very familiar with, liked a lot, coming inside the package. And it made all the difference for my Juicy Lucy burgers that I whipped up. So all that's to say, HelloFresh is easily my favorite of of the services. Tons of choices. You got classic style, family style, even vegetarian meals. Lots of benefits to subscribing. Um, You can get delicious, filling meals delivered right to your door every week for less than $10 per serving and free shipping. So for a total of $60 off, that's $20 off your first three boxes, visit HelloFresh.com backslash Almighty60 and enter Almighty60. That's HelloFresh.com backslash Almighty60, A-L-M-I-G-H-T-Y-6-0, and enter Almighty60. It's like receiving six meals free, or up to 50% off three boxes. So I want to actually 
use that as an opportunity to, tr- to transition because you know I've noticed this like Warriors fatalism is bubbling up again on Twitter now that they're up 2-0 and it looks like this series is effectively over and now it's always you know the same old like oh the Warriors are always going to win the Warriors ruining the NBA the Warriors are going to win the next 10 rings blah 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 bullshit I, I mean we Spence and more we've talked about this in DMs already but I don't buy it like I I I think regardless of where LeBron goes next year, assuming Houston runs back basically the same team, they're going to be a real threat to the Warriors. I don't know that they can beat them. Like we, more, you and I have talked about how just because they pushed them to seven this year doesn't mean that would happen next year because Iggy would presumably be healthy. But like right now, to me, Boston is the best competitor of. To, of any team to Golden State because you're going to add Kyrie and Gordon Hayward back to a core that took LeBron and the Cavs to seven games and again mm-hmm. this this Cavs team sucks so that's not like a great test of it but you did it without two of your best players and you know they're going to have the type you know we were just talking about how you need those two-way wings against the Warriors they're going to have Tatum, Three. Brown, Hayward, Marcus Morris, Marcus oh, Smart yeah. potentially if they yeah. bring him back like they have the personnel. You've got Al Horford at center who can switch one through five. I mean, Kyrie or Terry Rogier are going to be defensive liabilities, but like I, you know, Kyrie's at least proven a he can beat the Warriors in the finals, and two, he's the type of go-to scorer you're going to need against them when you need a bucket late. Like, am I crazy for thinking that you know going into next season now that the Warriors? Like, they're going to be the favorites, but I'm not ready to write them as the champion. I mean, you're talking to a guy who did wrote a tweet a couple of months back saying the, the Boston Celtics are going to win the 2019 NBA <laughs> championship. So, look, I no, you're not wrong. But even if they win again, and even if they win again and again, and they walk I mean, Golden State... Mm-hmm. Um, they still haven't ruined the NBA. Look at the ratings. Look at the popularity overall of of the NBA. Look at the interest level. Look at your new gig, Brian, over at Give Me Sport. That's mm-hmm. it. That's an English site, just saying. You know what? We need to we need to expand the NBA to to Brits. Like that's that's just a prime example right there. The interest level of the NBA has never been higher. We are arguably, this is in my opinion, we we are seeing the best brand of basketball right now. Of all time, the talent level is just so insane, and for people to get hung up on one series and one potential champion, yeah, I get the frustration level that you want to see different champions, but who cares? Like, there's so much <laughs> right. more to the NBA than just a final series and a, and a potential winner. The look at look at our podcast. I mean, look, we're closing in on 100 episodes on the year, and in in large part because there's been so many storylines as well. Like, mm-hmm. it's a 24-7 league. And for people to just go, you know, key in on the Warriors, it's just, it's such a dumb take. Yeah, I, I, I totally agree with both of you. Uh, also, you know, it, uh, as someone who used to run a, a basketball-specific website, uh, we didn't get our biggest traffic in June. We got our biggest traffic in July. No one, mm-hmm. no one yep. really cares about the finals. They care about the draft and free agency. That's where mm-hmm. the fireworks are, especially the last few years, when players have kind of uh, sort of acquired agency 
to move around the league. Um, and, you know, it, it, it kind of stems from LeBron in 2011 and, and, and that decision, sort of like, you know, even KD has admitted that that allowed him to make this Golden State uh, choice. Um, you know, I, I'm old enough not to borrow a meme from Twitter, uh, but I'm old <laughs> enough to I'm old enough to remember the 2005 finals, and it was like me and like four other people in the whole world who watched. Uh, and yeah, like I really dig Tim Duncan, you know, post ups, but most people don't. Um, mm-hmm. And when you're you're scoring 70, 80 points in a game. The general population is just gonna, you know, it's just like mm. pass. You know, there's other things to watch at this point. Um, so yeah, this is exciting. How I mean, Steph Curry, you know, has millions of little kids everywhere hoisting three pointers. Um, yeah, the Warriors are the Warriors are fun to hate too. I mean, everyone. I don't. I don't know anyone outside of the Bay that's really rooting for them to just like steamroll Cleveland. Um, that's that's interesting. Uh, trying to take down a, a Titan like this. That's interesting. You know, like what Daryl Morey did last summer and like. Kind of what what's going to happen this summer with LeBron? That's fascinating. Like Kawhi's in play. Uh, I, I I don't I I really think that we're kind of at the zenith of NBA's popularity, and and that's partially because of the Warriors. Um, mm-hmm. So it's 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 weird that people knock it, but people are going to knock stuff all the time. Um, I think there I do think that there's there's this idea, almost like a, a nihilism about them because of how easily they appeared. To, to win the title last year. Um, mm-hmm. I think it would be different if they had had a setback like Miami and Dallas in 2011. That kind of mm-hmm. allowed people to sort of forgive LeBron because he had had that low moment. KD, it's just like, when he when he announced on July 4th a couple summers ago, everyone was just like, well, that, that's the next three years of titles. And so right. far, that's proved prescient. Um, I don't know... That that I could see people sort of like knocking that while still watching games. I just you know it's it's kind of like oh this sucks this sucks but like what else you know you're still watching you still want to know what happens and people were were going like the Colangelo story broke last week and people were kind of like oh the finals are kind of an afterthought and then LeBron just exploded for fifty one and we had like <laughs> one of the most entertaining finals games in a couple years. Uh, it's 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 crazy. Uh, you know nothing is inevitable in sports. Um, Anything can happen. I, I mean, I still really think that Cleveland, you know, could make this more interesting than people seem to think it's going to be. Uh, even though, I mean, more to right, it could end up as a sweep. Um, mm-hmm. But the, the fatalism is there. But I think, you know, I, w- I was reading the other day that like a fifth of adults in the United States are on Twitter. Um, and more, I'm not, uh, I'm singling out America just because that's where I am. And I think that's where the most yeah, of the absolutely. popularity comes. Uh, uh, Twitter um, in Denmark is non-existent. Yeah. Right, but I but I mean like there are tons of basketball fans that don't that aren't on Twitter, um, right. so it's 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 kind of a skewed segment of, of people like us that think about basketball all the time and kind of like over intellectualize every single result. Um, for for the vast majority of fans, this is awesome. It's the best player in the world against the best team that we've he- seen maybe ever. That's what people want to see. Um, I don't think that's 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 necessarily a bad thing, just because there is a pretty glaring talent disparity. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, it just makes me wonder, like, if Twitter was around in the 90s, would people feel this way about the Jordan Bulls? There's no way he escapes the sort of uh, the the mid-series uh, uh, trips to Atlantic City. Like, there's no way he gets away with that. Because, um, like, that was a big deal at the time. Uh, when you know the people breaking those stories work for the New York Post, but now yeah. everyone's got a cell phone. It just it would have it would have mm-hmm. spiraled out of control. Um, that's to be honest. I, I wrote a piece on LeBron's, you know, eight trips to the finals. That's mm-hmm. what's 
crazy to me is that he's been able to do this in 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 today's sort of media uh, glare. Um, it's just he's just so remarkable to me. I mean, what he what can he withstand? And like he hasn't, you know, like aside from the Hummer in high school, I can't really think of anything that he's done that's even slightly controversial aside from the decision. And it, he's not breaking the law. He's not, you know. He's not getting caught, you know, sliding into people's DMs. He's just, you know, he's just, you know, passive aggressive tweets are like the worst that LeBron does. Uh, I don't know. I I love the NBA right now. And we might be speaking just as hardcore fans and people who work in the NBA. But I think even for casual fans, like this is it. This is this is great. People love it. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, I, I think you I think you nailed it with there's it's fun to like watch teams try to take down a juggernaut. Like, not to go completely into the NFL, but, like, that's the same way I felt about the New England Patriots for the last 20 years. Like, it's really effing fun watching them lose. Like, the Eagles winning the Super Bowl this year was doubly satisfying because it came at their expense. And, like, I know, you know, even if the Warriors win this year or next year, like, we're all always going to have 2016 jokes. Like, yeah. for, <laughs> forever and ever. Like, we'll never let that go away. And Golden State fans are always going to be salty about it, which is great, too. Like, doesn't doesn't matter how many wing, rings they win, if you say three one to them, they're gonna get pissed off. So I, you know, I, I'm just I, I feel like I understand the fatigue, or the perceived fatigue of you know we don't want to see Cavs Warriors again necessarily, but I think that's more because the rest of the Cavs suck so much. But put LeBron on a good team next year, and like hell yeah, I want to see that. You know, pr- you know, probably because the only realistic option is Philly in that regard. But if you put, if you put LeBron on Houston, like I, I don't know how it's going to work. I have a piece going up shortly at B-Ball breakdown about it. It would be, you know, what, what Daryl Morey did last year with Chris Paul would be the tip of the iceberg compared to what he would have to do get, to get LeBron this year and to keep like Paul and James Harden and Capella. I don't know how it worked, but if he could like, my God, you know, we got, we had people this year saying, Rockets Warriors was the real NBA Finals. What if the Western Conference Finals next year is the Big Four Warriors versus the Big Four Rockets? Yeah, and I, well, I mean, I, he really uh, that that would really test even Daryl Morey because I mean, I could see a team dangle like a near max for Capella just yeah. because because like LeBron's going to be the domino. No one's going to make right. any moves in free agency until he decides, and then once he does, I can see people just dangling that in front of there to prevent them from bringing Capella back. Um, there are people who think that you can just insert big man X in Capella's role. And I, 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 there are very few guys who can, who can guard Steph on the perimeter and also defend the rim. And you know, that, that, that could very well be the difference. Um, yeah. Yeah. Uh, but you did mention LeBron possibly going, staying in the East, which I think would be smart if he wants to compete for titles. Um, and going to Philly, I think that's a good segue to what we were going to talk about next, yeah. probably. Because we, yeah. we've, we've been spending a lot of time on the finals so far. Yeah. Well, so, Mort, you and I recorded a Brian Colangelo burner episode last week. And we sure both did. said that, wow, there's probably no way he can keep his job after this. At the time, we did not realize that, you know, both you and I thought it was bullshit. And we thought he was definitely behind it. It now seems, thanks to the sleuthing of Sixers Twitter, it seems as though his wife was behind at least some, if not all, of the accounts. Her phone number was aligned with three of them, although the identity of the fourth, uh, S. Bonham, I believe, or still balling as a user, or the hand, whatever, username, 
Um, it seems like that one might have been different. So we, we still don't, Sixers Twitter, Twitter still hasn't gotten to the bottom of that one. But regardless, it seems like someone in Colangelo's inner circle is connected to it, is the one behind it. Um, the Sixers, despite all of that, have yet to fire him. Uh, David Aldridge of NBA.com said it should wrap up by Wednesday. Woj also reported they were hoping to finish it as soon as early this week. So as far as we know, it could be coming down today. But more, what do you think is behind the delay here? Oh, man, I can only speculate. I, I, I think it's just the NBA overall looking at this from the point of view of how do we handle this from a public relations standpoint as well. I think there are so mm-hmm. many layers in this um, because they're going to have the biggest, blackest eye in this case <laughs> after just pushing out Sam Hinkie. We, we touched on this on the, on the last podcast, obviously. Um, yeah, it's it, it. Just going back for a second, you know, this is why the Warriors didn't ruin the NBA. We still have shit like this. <laughs> Thanks, Brian like, Colangelo. Bri- Brian Colangelo's <laughs> wife supposedly made these things. I mean, this is this is just a great story. Um, <laughs> Let's not forget, like whoever the mysterious person is that tips off Ben Dietrich. Uh, yeah, because we still we probably will never find out who that is, but. I, I find it very difficult to believe that they just created this magical algorithm that somehow pinpointed all these accounts <laughs> mm-hmm. without some like truly sort of like granular data about that team. Um, man, that this story is just like I feel like we're, I'm gonna we're gonna be telling our yeah, my my grown grandchildren about the story <laughs> yeah. uh, because it's just there's so many layers to it. Um, one thing I did want to talk about because I'm not gonna get a chance to write about it is. You know, and you guys did touch on this in your other pod, is Jerry Colangelo's role in mm. bringing his son aboard and the NBA's role in bringing Jerry aboard uh, mm-hmm. and how much silver and sort of higher level NBA executives want to keep that out of this story. Um, because, I mean, Brian Colangelo is kind of like, you know, a, a perfect case for nepotism, even though he has, you know, he, he, he was involved with the, the seven seconds or less sons and some good, you know, most of the, the, the current Raptors team. Um, so it's not that he hasn't done some things, but right. You know, he got a lot of those jobs because of his dad. Um, and he, he, he certainly got put in the, in, in place in Philadelphia because of his dad. Um, and so like, I think that plays a role in why he still has a job. Uh, also, I mean, I don't, I don't want to necessarily say this is the reason, but, you know, he's a, an affluent white guy. Um, you know, and it's, it, it's, we're, we're now about a week since the story broke, and he still has a job. Uh, and yeah. we're coming up on free agency and the draft, and guys, look at that. Um, and I kind of think that the Sixers ownership is shooting themselves in the foot for not acting sooner, even though maybe their investigation is still ongoing, and they, they hired the the law firm um, Brian that you had mentioned. I mean, it's, <laughs> this this whole story just has so many twists and turns. But I feel bad. Uh, my my brother in law is a diehard Sixers fan, and he's just like I just get expletive laden texts every couple of days, <laughs> like what's going on, like you know, instead of focusing on how Ben Simmons can improve as a shooter and what the hell Markel Fultz is going to do this summer. We're talking about this, uh, and I don't like. Is there enough time to even hire another GM before the draft? I mean, what are they going to do here? What do you What do you guys think? I, I genuinely don't know. Like that's the that's what I'm wondering. I, I understand that it takes time, especially to cover all of your legal bases. So, like, I'm not totally shocked that they haven't fired him as much as 
you know, I think at this point, Sixers fans just want reassurance that he's going to be fired. Not yeah. and that like there's no good way that you could do that without just actually firing him. But you know, like Woj had that report right after Game One came out. Woj is that close? Said like they're seriously considering firing him. So I think the Sixers ownership is like leaking to the press that like this is going to happen. We're just like crossing our T's and dotting our I's and like I would guess the delay is basically them trying to fire fire him with cause and get out of paying his contract. Do we know how many years he has left on his deal? Like, is he is he locked I, up for another couple? Of years? Yeah, that's no I mean, that's not public information. Yeah, yeah I, I mean, mean it came on two years ago, so I'd assume at least probably two more. Yeah, yeah, yeah they're probably. I mean, at the end of the day, it probably boils down to money. Uh, yeah. And it's and uh, Brian, like you, as you've seen, like the Sixers ownership is kind of immune to people freaking out about them. I mean, they the, the Sam Hankey era was kind of like a perpetual freakout from <laughs> you know fans that wanted them to be more competitive. Um, so yeah, I mean, I, I don't, I don't know. I don't know what you do. I, I definitely think they had a hand in, in leaking the fact that yes, he's he's gonna be terminated, but they're trying to save some money at the same time. I, I, I don't know. The whole thing is just such a, a cluster. You know, I don't know. Can you guys yeah. curse on this? Yeah, uh, fuck yeah. No. Yeah. Okay. Yeah, it's a clusterfuck. It's a total yeah. clusterfuck, which sucks because I really think the Philly Boston dynamic in the East is what I'm most looking forward to next season, especially if LeBron joins philadelphia um mm. and is, is lebron gonna join another uh franchise that's like almost more uh muddied than the dan <laughs> gilbert Cavs? i mean jesus like could you imagine like if he was seriously leaning towards philadelphia and then this happens good lord well that's i i tweeted it yesterday because i saw that the report came out and they said like you know it's as soon as this or as soon as early this week and i'm like that doesn't mean it's gonna happen this week i hadn't seen the aldridge thing by that point but you know, that that's my thing. Like, now we are, what, 16 days until the draft. We are less than a month until free agency. It's a fair mm-hmm. question. Like, I don't know, even if they fire him today, even if you hire a new GM later this week, whoever it is, David Griffin, Mike Zarin, whoever, you still have to get them up to speed in less than two weeks of the draft and less than four weeks for free agency. And what's, like, the most pivotal offseason your franchise has had in recent memory, if not ever, like, and that's know, why they won't hire a rookie GM. I think. Yeah, I agree. But I like, agree. who, 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 who do you think is out there that would, that that would sort of like settle things down? Um, you Riffin. know, uh, yeah, yeah, yeah. I mean, that, that's what every that's what everyone says. Um, no, but man, I, that, he's, isn't he really the only one when you think about it? Uh, yeah, especially yeah. if you're going after LeBron, as as hard as it sounds like they're going to. Mm-hmm. Um, Brian, as a Sixers fan, I mean, I've I've certainly heard, uh, and I think this is kind of crazy, but people sort of lamenting the addition of LeBron because there's some overlap with Simmons and maybe they don't have the shooting and you're messing with like a young core. Is that just crazy because it's LeBron <laughs> and like people are nuts? Uh, you know, I've, I've flip-flopped back and forth on that. My concern with him isn't as much on the court because I think they'd figure that out. I think he's a smart enough player that, you know they would a figure it out b it would like use simmons more off the ball which i think would be good for his development as much as i enjoy full-time point ben um my concern with lebron is like the off the court like the shadow gm stuff um because you know we basically the heat and the Cavs, like the heat of 2010 to 2014 the Cavs from 2014 to 2018 it seems like there's a four-year window where you go from having 
basically your window shuts after those four years and then you're left with like nothing because you trade it you trade a bunch of young players you trade picks just for like more win now guys you sign guys to oversized deals you go into luxury tax and then you have to cut guys or like trade them for less than you necessarily want to that said like he hasn't gone to a team with this much young talent ever i mean cleveland had Kyrie, they had you know they traded wiggins right away but they had wiggins Aside from that, like Anthony Bennett had zero value basically off the lot. Tristan Thompson is fine, but like I'm taking Dario Saric as the third best player over Tristan Thompson. Um, same with like Deion Waiters. Like the, the Cavs had a bunch of high lottery picks, but those guys weren't necessarily good. The I'm glad you brought it. I was about to mention Deion Waiters. Like the best part about that early Cavs iteration was <laughs> Deion Waiters had Kyrie Irving, uh, Le, uh, 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 Kevin Love, and LeBron James on his team, and he was absolutely convinced he was the best player on that team. Yeah, yeah. I love I love <laughs> right. Deion Waiters. Just standing with his arms up, like pass to me, pass to me. <laughs> exactly. Yeah. Exactly. No, so uh, yeah, the, the LeBron stuff doesn't worry me on the court. It's just like the the. You know, I think he would definitely do whatever he could to trade Markel Fultz or Darius Arch, and that makes me sad. Like, he would try to get Kawhi somehow, but I also don't think Kawhi is genuinely in play this summer, at least. So, like, going back to the GM stuff, though, that's, like, that's my concern is you to get LeBron, the Sixers still need to clear out $10 million in cap space, They ha- which basically means you have to trade Jared Bayless and take no money back and then either package him with one other player, probably Justin Anderson, just to make the money work. Um, or, you know, with that number 26 pick, they could use that as trade bait for Bayless. They could use the 26 pick on an international prospect, stash him abroad for a year, so that money isn't on their books. At that point, they can, I think they could just not pick up their team option on Rashawn Holmes if they could somehow trade uh, Bayless without taking money back. That would carve up enough room. But, like, there are just a bunch of permutations they need to work through. The draft is probably going to be their best option to get off of Bayless's contract just because they have six picks. They've got the two first-rounders plus two early second, uh, 38 and 39, and then 56 and 60 as well. So, like, they need a GM in place. If they're really trying to execute this LeBron plan, they need a GM in place with that vision in mind before the draft, which gives them 16 days to fire Colangelo, hire a GM, and get all their ducks in a row. Because that, like, that GM is now going to have to redo all of Colangelo's work. Like, I'm, I'm assuming he's planned for those contingencies already, but now they're going to have to like redo all, retrace all of those steps, make all of those calls again, and say, like, all right, what do you want? Like, what's it going to take to get off of Bayless's deal? Yeah, I mean... It's regardless of what happens, I, I'm just like looking forward to uh, you know whoever they they hire after Colangelo, like the night of the draft, like one of Colangelo's burner accounts just like sends one tweet out like, "See, I told you, Brian really knew what he was doing," you know? Like, <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> oh my god, it's just such a it's such a mess. But well, once again, we will keep you updated on the latest for the Brian Colangelo front, if and when the Sixers actually make a decision. I will say, if they don't fire him. And they thought the insurrection after Sam Hankey getting quote-unquote resigning was bad. Holy shit. Process Twitter is going to go into an all-out fucking revolt if they keep Brian Colangelo on board. So Yeah, I, I that would be crazy. That would be the craziest thing at this point is if they actually kept him. Even though, yeah. you know, they yeah, it's nuts. Yeah. 
Uh, all right, guys, let's let's wrap things up with some Luka Doncic news because you know we've been hearing some rumblings, uh, mostly from Jonathan Gavoni of ESPN. He had a piece, I think uh, on May twentieth is the first time he reported this. He said the growing consensus among NBA decision makers is that teams drafting behind the Phoenix Suns at number one, which are the Sacramento Kings at two and the Hawks at three, are likely to pass on Doncic in favor of American frontcourt players, presumably some combination of Jaron Jackson, Marvin Bagley, Mo Bamba. Uh, He said the question remains if a team's going to trade up or if he's going to fall to Memphis at four or even Dallas at five. Then a couple days later, he and Kevin Pelton of ESPN had a piece uh, about that report, basically. And he said, barring a trade, I'd say Doncic being drafted in the top three is no better than 50-50. Um, later on, I think, you know, with uh, a couple days after that, Bleacher Report's John, um, Jonathan Wasserman also had in his like latest updated mock draft, he had Doncic to the Memphis Grizzlies at number four. So more, you know, we did that, that lottery mock a couple weeks ago and I took mm-hmm. Doncic number one for the Suns. I should. What, should. what, what like what's causing this, uh, you know, perceived slip down the draft board? incompetence (laughs) i mean honestly that's really the only answer that i have i mean i i know that a lot of you know prolific tweeters um are saying oh you know teams don't really have the same video access to Doncic as they do college prospect that's bull that's Mm -hmm. absolute bull you can buy like league pass for the spanish league and for the euro league and like no no don't even try it they have so much footage of Doncic coming out of their asses. It's not a problem. So if it, this is a thing where you just trust the American players more, then good luck. Yeah. And, you know, good luck not getting fired in a year when you, you know, take Marvin Backley over Luka Doncic. Yeah. yeah. Good luck with that. That's fine. It, it's so wild. Spence, what are your thoughts on this? Uh, well, I mean, you mentioned Marvin Bagley, and I actually got a chance to see him at Peach Jam uh, last summer, and uh, not really sold on him. Um, nope. You know, that was a year ago, and he, he had a year at Duke, but uh, I don't know. Um, the Dantish stuff, uh, man, it, it, I you know, Zach Lowe kind of hinted at maybe some, like, off-court issues that people were, were, were rumbling about, um, because, you know, it's not like, you know, teenagers are, are you know, sort of perfectly suited for the spotlight, you know, as teenagers. Um, But he seems pretty mature. Uh, You know, he's been playing professionally for a while now. Um, Mm Kind of like, you know, Tony Parker was playing professionally at a very young age and kind of adapted well to the NBA. Um, Aside from that weird Brent Berry situation. Um, (laughs) uh, I think that uh, Mort's right and... You know, I you know it's it sounded like like uh, the Kings uh, and Suns didn't send anyone to Euroleague. Is that is that true? I, I don't know if I'm I'm just sort of. I think they they sent like not their top GM. Uh, or, like Vladdy, know, Vladdy, yeah, Vladdy, Vladdy like went go. to like a graduation for a son or something. Um, <laughs> right. I mean, it's 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 also uh, something to keep in mind that like a lot of the stuff that might be rumbling is just like gms trying to trick up other gms Mm -hmm. um because it's all like uh you know it's the histrionics of the whole thing it's it's hard to sort of sift through that to to arrive at like what people actually think about a guy um 
but I'm with more like if, if it, I, I think he should be number one. Uh, I mean, Aiden is seems like a kind of a can't miss, and the Suns would be wise to sort of go in that direction, uh, uh, especially because they have you know some some guys along the wing. I guess I don't know. I, I John to me at least what I've seen seems like the future. You know, a big guy uh, who can run the pick and roll, can shoot uh, off the dribble or or uh, you know spot up. Um, and he's like really big for his age. Uh, like when I say big, I mean like kind of like a I don't want to say LeBron, but like you know girthy, like not mm-hmm. uh, not Six, like eight, a two twenty five. Right, like he's not yeah. like a he's not a Kevin Durant type that's kind of going to like grow into his body as he mm. matures. Um, and again, I, I I think that there is you know uh, 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 the ESPN writer sort of intimated at the disparity between what the public thinks of Doncic and what NBA executives do. And I think that that actually, in one of those rare instances where the experts are wrong, um, they're like sort of relying on outdated uh, ideas of European players. Right. You know, like look at, you know, it's, people still consider like, you know, even with the success of Giannis and uh, Porzingis, like people still just like don't fully comprehend how high the level of play is in the Euroleague. It's way higher than Division One basketball, right? Can we all agree mm-hmm. on that? I mean, oh, yeah. Oh, right. Yeah. Like, uh, you, I mean, you don't believe Villanova could beat Real Madrid? Oh, that was the worst <laughs> take I saw all year. I, I actually remember shutting down Twitter for a day. That was just so dumb. But, Spence, to your point regarding, you know, Maybe there is some some background stuff on Dantage. You know, the, maybe he's a little bit of a spoiled brat or whatever. I asked around in my European network. Nothing came back of the sorts. When I mentioned it to a couple of people who are really like locked in on these things, they were like, "What? You're kidding!" Um, so I don't know. These things just start, and ironically, they start in America, where Dantich is across the pond. So not really sure what that is. I, I think you're right that it could be GMs just trying to do make some smoke screens. Uh, but I, I've asked around. I have not heard anything of the sorts about him. Uh, in fact, all I hear is he lives and breathes basketball, and that's really what you want. So, um, and honestly, just just to say it, like even if he does have a big head on his shoulders, like he's nineteen. And he's he's been hyped up for the past three years. Show me a teenager who won't eventually begin to believe the hype. I mean, it <laughs> happens. Then he'll come over. Then he'll get humbled because someone dunks on him or owns him for a couple of games. He'll go, oh, shit, I might have to take this thing seriously. <laughs> and then you have to rely on your talent and, and your player evaluation, whatever, and th- then you get better. Like, I don't find the whole, oh, he has a big head uh, idea worrisome, even if he does. Mm-hmm. Like, look at all the amount of players you know that, that came into the NBA thinking they were all that. Doesn't every top five pick basically feel I that way? Mo Bamba, like, should we should we penalize Mo Bamba for saying he believes he should be pick number one? Michael Porter Jr. too. He said he Michael he Porter Jr. too. Player in this class, right? But I mean, so, so here's the thing. I feel that, and and that's not you guys, but I feel that Americans have a very negative view. If a Euro comes out and say, "Oh, I should be number one," they'll be like, "What? How?" dare you how dare you then an american comes out i should be number one. Oh yeah yeah i mean he he's within his right to say so like come on come on what is that that is just ridiculous i mean no um and and i'm also at some point i will be working on a piece where i'll actually examine whether or not 
you know, there's a higher bust rate among euros. Mm. Uh, looking back over the past 20 years, just you know, perusing and browsing, it seems to me actually from a percentage standpoint that there are more secure picks than American. Hmm. Oh, okay. is, I, yeah, I mean, I, I feel like the the perception just because of Darko is the big bust, and then Bargnani. I don't think it's fair to call him like a total bust. I mean, he oh, was he was the average twenty. The, yeah, the like biggest was... bust was Nikolaj Skidishvili. That was the one that started it. Mm. Denver dra- drafted him fifth in two thousand and two. I want to say, mm-hmm. and he he played like all eighty two games in his rookie season and shot like below thirty percent from the field. He was he was <laughs> oh. abysmal. But that I remember because I was I was in on the whole message board craze back then. Mm-hmm. Like that was the big thing. Like oh, Skidishvili was. Like the poster child of busts coming over from from across the pond. Like, oh, you can't draft those guys because they're just not certain. Mm-hmm. Like, who is Kwame? Wasn't certain. Come on. Yeah, I mean, I I I remember people dragging the Bucks for Giannis. I mean, geez, right. look, 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 look what's happened with them. Um, yeah, Brian, sorry, I kind of interrupted you. No, no, no. I was gonna say, like Anthony Bennett too. I brought him up earlier. Like, he he would just immediately. I mean, that's oh Canadian. Canadian. So oh, yeah. Oh, good He's a point. Bust, good point. Obviously. Yeah. And Wiggins, yeah. too, I guess. Yeah, yeah. yeah. <laughs> well, it's it's like, it's like uh, to Moore's point, it's like people think that uh, Americans, like, have the licensing to be sort of egotistical uh, or to, like, believe that they're the top player. But if a European does it, like, oh, hey, now, like, he might have, you know, he mm. might have, you know, an ego problem. Um, I mean, Doncic has, like, a, a tiger tattoo on his arm. He is... I, you like want that sort of brio in your number one pick. Like he should think he's the the shit. Like that's right. that's part of why you draft him because he has that you know that confidence. Um, and he the, he has the benefit of going against. And I, I can't like uh, sort of punctuate this enough. The Euro League is grown men. You are going against mm-hmm. men who mm-hmm. are providing for their families. You're not going against like an 18 year old who's like worried about zits and girls in college. Like <laughs> this is the, it's a, it's an entirely different sort of realm of basketball. Um, and to sort of sort of penalize him for that, it just has, it's a fundamental misunderstanding of how European basketball works in comparison to uh, college. You know? yeah. yeah. And to note, it's full time over there. Like they have yeah. two or three a day's practices during the season. Like they practice a shit ton more than both college programs or NBA programs do. Like it's it's insane. Um, so yeah, I mean, I just think this misconception needs to die. Also, I'm reminded. Christoph Porzingis in what was that 2015 yeah 2015 yep. coming over like he had he was absolutely certain he was going to tear the league apart and he did like mm-hmm. he he was he was just determined like I'm going to be dominant right off the bat he told the Knicks as much they fell in love with him because of that confidence but I remember leading up to the draft there were a lot of rumblings about oh this guy believes he's he's all that he doesn't believe that he has to develop like, what? What? Well, I mean, I, I was I was in Barclays for that draft, and the booing was substantial. Right. Yeah, it was. Yeah. If only the the booing should have been flipped between numbers three and four in retrospect. Yeah. If only <laughs> yeah. At the time. I I do want to play devil's advocate just because more you did bring up a point. You know that that they are practicing more. They're playing against grown men. Do you think part of the skepticism then is that you know? Maybe they they say like, all right, well, when Aiton gets to the league and is practicing and like working out with the training staff for the first time or professional training staff for the first time, 
he's going to have a higher ceiling, Jaron Jackson, Marvin Bagley, that kind of thing. Mm. Whereas, you know, we've seen, like, we're, we're closer to Luka Doncic's ceiling than we are to an Aiton Bagley, Jackson, Bamba type. No, because it's about age, isn't it? Age yeah. and understanding how you're wired mentally. No, I, I mean, I get the whole idea behind it. I do. And I think there is a scenario in which Aiden does have more potential, but that's more of an athletic standpoint than it is the workload he's had, the historic workload or his role in college or whatever. I think mm-hmm. that's just because he jumps higher and runs faster. That matters in basketball, surprisingly, um, <laughs> a great a great deal. For, for Doncic, uh, I just think he's mentally more prepared at this point. I think he's more well-rounded. I think he's more polished, but that does not, to me, say that he's a finished product by mm-hmm. any stretch of the imagination. Look, he's he's in a league right now where he's had to play like the, the primary ball handle role. He's been the top dog at the age of 18 and 19 years old. And then people were slamming him in the couple, last couple of months because his stats began to fell off. Like, oh, he can't handle it. 18, 19 years old. Try putting DeAndre Ayton into that role in at Real Madrid instead. Like, swap mm-hmm. the two. Mentally, I think Ayton in that scenario would completely crumple because he hadn't had the relationship with a club for like three or four years where they kind of grown him into that thing. I think that just speaks to an advantage Doncic has coming in. But I don't think in any way that it limits his ceiling that he's practicing as much. Quite the contrary. I think he when he comes in, like he knows how to run a practice. Mm-hmm. He knows when to do you know weight work. Like he knows how to take practices seriously because here over here, if you don't take practice seriously, if you're goofing around, good lord, I've heard stories, and that's that, especially in Spain. Like they are hardcore. Well, look hardcore. at the ball, but the ball brothers. They had to leave early. <laughs> yeah, yeah. That's sort of those things, right? Yeah. It's it's brutal. So Doncic is going to come in with a profi- professional mindset right right off the bat. He's not yeah. going to pull a Jalil Okafor. Oh, I'm going to uh. punch a Boston fan <laughs> outside of nightclub. No, uh. I mean, so, eh, I don't know. I mean, yes, there is a world where maybe even Jaron Jackson Jr. Mm-hmm. becomes the better player because he's just so multifaceted. Mm-hmm. And the same goes for Aiden. And if that's, like, if it's through that lens that you're choosing a player, fine. I can live with that. Mm-hmm. But if it comes to the point of, oh, he's American, then I have a problem with that. Yeah, I I just, I was playing devil's advocate. I don't believe any of that, but I was just throwing it out there as a... Sure you do. Racist. <laughs> <pastor>. <laughs> Yo, I, I would still take him number one. I, I think the, <laughs> the bottom line is basically, it seems like the Suns are going to take eight and number one, at least based on until two weeks before the draft so really the bottom line is kings are about to kings again yeah and yeah well uh well i mean it'll be be curious to see uh well i mean vladdy obviously uh has a lot to prove uh Mm -hmm. and especially that owner uh i'm probably gonna mispronounce his name vivek uh has definitely meddled a few times uh Mm -hmm. as we saw with that cousins trade for um the next steph curry uh So I, I, it'll be curious to see how they handle the, the draft. I, 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 if you're the Kings, and if you're a Kings fan, I, I just feel like if Aiden goes number one and they pass on Doncic, yeah. good Lord. Uh, whoever they do pick, whether you know it's, it's, it's Bagley or, or Jackson or whoever, I just, like, 
good luck, you know, because yeah. yeah. <laughs> Doncic really does seem like as much of a sure thing as Aiden, um, and maybe even more so, at least in my mind. Yeah, and I, I love Jackson too. I'm not. I don't buy Bagley as a number two prospect. I could, I could get behind Jackson's more so, and if like Doncic fell to three, I at least more understand that. But like, God, there's uh, like every one of these teams needs him. It's not. It's not even like a you. You have like an all star at his position, so that's why you're blocking him, and you, you're just gonna go by fit, like. The Kings absolutely need a player like him. The Hawks, especially when they trade Schroeder for, like, peanuts, they're going to need a new ball handler. Yeah. Well, I mean, and you just, you need, the Kings, like, more than anything, need an identity, and and Doncic gives, at least gives you, like, something resembling that. Um, All those other guys, like, yes, Jackson might inevitably be better just because he can defend more positions and he's more athletic, uh, and, you know, maybe he turns into a ball handler, but... Man, I, I just you know that he's he, he you know we've we've said enough. Doncic is yeah. you know mm. that's yeah. crazy. Yeah. I want to wrap this up by one thing. Just I saw a couple of tweets a couple of weeks ago regarding this thing, or actually maybe just a week ago uh, regarding the whole Doncic thing. And I saw um, a Suns fan, <laughs> and I just wanted to point out that this this was one guy, but I just don't want it to become a thing for Suns fans, who said. If I have the number one pick, which I do, I'm not spending it on a white guy. <laughs> what? Like, don't like oh, don't no. don't go down that road. Like, oh, no. I I implore you, Twitter people out there, just don't go full dumb. Don't yeah. go full on stupid. Just <laughs> yeah. Uh, all right. Well, that's a good place to wrap, guys. So, Spence, thank you again for joining us today. One more time, could you let our listeners know where they can find you on Twitter and where they can find your work? Oh, uh, just uh, Spencer Tyrell on Twitter um, and SpencerLund.com for, for any you know work that I've done. Uh, I, I fly under the radar, so you're, you're going to have to do a little digging to find my stuff, but uh, <laughs> hopefully it's worth it. Thank you, you again did, for having me, guys. Yeah, absolutely. You did bring up, you, you did have a LeBron piece a couple weeks ago that I thought was excellent on Real GM, was it? Uh, I think that was the for the title run yeah, yeah, uh, piece. Yeah. yeah, yeah, that was complex. Um, oh, okay, yeah. But uh, Go. yeah, no, good lord, eight in a row. I mean, jeez. Yeah, eight gonna in a be, row. Gonna be nine in a row next year with the Sixers too. It's great. We'll have a new place <laughs> to write about. Uh, all right, so give us a follow as well on Twitter at the NBA Pod. You can find our Twitter handles in our bio, so you can follow us there. You can also check us out on iTunes. So please subscribe, download, leave some five star reviews. We'd love any feedback. And we're now being hosted on the Almighty Baller Podcast Network. So check them out on Twitter at Almighty Casts. Until next time, I'm Brian Toporek, and I was joined, as always, by Morton Jensen and Spencer Lund. Have a good one, guys. You too, Brian. Thanks, Brian. Hi, it's Jamie, Progressive's Employee of the Month, two months in a row. Leave a message at the... Hi, Jamie. It's me, Jamie. I just had a new idea for our song about the Name Your Price tool. So when it's like, tell us what you want to pay, hey, 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 and the trombone goes, blah, 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 and you say, we'll help you find coverage options to fit your budget. Then we just all do finger snaps while a choir goes, savings coming at ya, savings coming at ya. Yes? No? Maybe? Anyway, see your practice tonight. I got new lyrics for the rap break.
Progressive Casualty Insurance Company and Affiliates. Price and coverage match limited by state law. At Pathways Financial Credit Union, we know things come up that might require extra family funds. You could use the equity in your home to help pay for almost anything, from home improvements to a family vacation. Our home equity line of credit has rates and payments much lower than a traditional loan or credit card. Find out why Pathways is the fastest-growing credit union in Ohio over the last 10 years. Visit one of our convenient locations or check us out at pathwayscu.com. Offer of credit is subject to credit approval. Pathways is an equal opportunity lender and is federally insured by the NCUA.